We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. This evening, I really wanted to finish the book. I just, you know... I had it in my heart and I said, Lord, I just want to kind of finish it because I'm so excited about Judges. I'm so excited about the rest of the Bible. But, you know, the Lord just kind of spoke to me and he said, no, not yet. I know you're in a hurry, but don't go at your pace. I go at my pace. And tonight we're going to see a really, a really heavy, a really heavy study. You know, and that's the beauty about teaching through the Bible. Um, I'll be honest with you, if it was up to me, I'd probably teach a nice um, you know, comfortable studies. I think that, you know, we all kind of uh, are encouraged by them. If it was me, I'd probably say, hey, life as a Christian is hunky-dory and one day we'll be in glory, so don't worry. You don't have to stress or worry about things, you know. But the Lord, um, it, He dictates what we study and God is really calling us as a church to sanctification. You know, I hear this very loud and clear as we're living life in light of the Lord's eminent return god is calling us to obedience you know and of course we know that's always the call but it seems like man lately he's been making it stronger because i have a feeling that there's a lot of people within the church that think well it's not really attainable manny and you know you're just going to frustrate me because you know i'm saved by the blood and it's just grace and you know i i don't know why you're always pushing this uh this message of obedience but, you know, it's not me. First of all, it's the Lord. And He's calling you to stop making excuses. To stop saying that you cannot be a godly man or a godly woman. You know, and I was thinking about this when I was praying today. And I said, you know, Lord, it's not about really us arriving. It's about an awakening. It's not really about us being Christians. Okay, now we've got the arrival it's about a revival in which God really captures every single area of our life and we stop making excuses. You know, because a lot of people, they're struggling and they're hurting and you want to know why? It's because you're not really giving your heart to God. You know, we go through trials and we go through challenges in life and I know sometimes it's because we're obedient but, you know, a lot of times it's because we're not obedient. And there we are. We have no peace. We have no joy. We have no love. Why? Because we did not pray today. I mean, there's people here today. They did not really pray. They did not sit with the Lord. They did not get on their face. They did not get on their knees. They woke up. They had breakfast. They went and they worked out. They went to work. They prayed a little bit while they're driving. And then they're wondering why there's not a fire inside. You know, I, I think as I read my Bible and lately, man, just trying to really ask God, what are you doing? Lord's calling us to awaken. Lord, God's calling us to revival. And, and the thing about it is that one of the things about Joshua that was very important is that you had to believe it in order to attain it. You had to step into the land in order to possess it. If you don't believe that God cannot make you a godly man, if you don't believe that God does not want you to be a godly man, then you won't be. But if you believe 
that the power of God can come into your life and change you and modify your character. Even though you're wired and you're like, hey, I'm Hispanic, I got an anger problem or whatever it is, you know, it doesn't matter. My dad was an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic. It doesn't matter. Wherever you're at, I'm telling you right now, you guys, this is what God wants us to believe. He wants us to believe that I can live a life of consistency and obedience. You know, because the way that it works is this. Because I know some people, they're like, well, Manny, you're always going to have sin. You know, why do you always talk about that? You know, you're always going to have problems. And that's true. Until the day we die, until the day we're raptured, until the day we go to heaven, we're always going to be dealing with something. But if you can visualize it like this, okay, here I am, and I've got a giant in front of me. And so I slay the giant with my stone. I move on to the next giant. I move on to the next giant. And that's how I live my life. I'm going forward. I'm growing forward. But if you don't want to mess with the giants, if you're cool with living with the giants, if you're cool with the enemy within me, and if you're okay with that, then you know what ends up happening? You wander in the wilderness until the day you change your heart. And that's what Joshua kind of is all about. And so, you know, Joy mentioned a really cool verse because it really goes in line, you know, with what we're studying today. It's, man, the word of God is by them we're warned and, and, and by keeping them, there's great reward. You know, we pray for the serv- service to be a blessing. God bless the church. God bless this service. But more so, what we're going to see today is not necessarily bless the service, but how can we really be blessed in life by studying the Word today? We're going to see what God is going to ask us to do. Because look what happens, you guys. Joshua chapter 23, look what it says in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. Now from what I understand, Joshua was about 110 years old. Okay, that's pretty old, right? And the cool thing about it, man, is that he knew he was about to die. We're going to see him in chapter 24 pass away. But, you know, he doesn't retire. There's still work to do to the very end. And I want to encourage you that if you're older here today, to, man, never retire from the ministry. Never retire from the responsibility that God calls you to do. Because here's Joshua, 110 years old, and he still knows that there's some things that need to be said. And so what ends up happening is he calls for the people. doesn't matter how old you are. I read this story right here about John Wesley. Check this out, you guys. John Wesley, the circuit-riding preacher who traveled 250,000 miles on horseback, going from town to town, Preaching the gospel, he wrote 400 books, preached 40,000 messages, traveled 250,000 miles and became self-taught scholar in 10 different languages. I mean, this guy was a workhorse for the Lord, right? But the thing is, is he never slowed down. When he got to be 81 years old, he wrote in his journal that he was angry because he could only read for five hours at one sitting before his eyes began to bother him. (laughs) 
Some of us, we can't even read for five minutes, right, before I start bothering us. Here's this guy, oh man, five hours at a time. At the age of 86, he wrote that he was upset because he had to cut back to two sermons a day. <laughs> at 88, he complained that he had a tendency to occasionally sleep in till 5.30 a.m., <laughs> Man, this guy, 81 years old, 88 years old, did not slow down whatsoever. He didn't make any excuses, right? It goes on to say right here that John Wesley had a passion in his heart because he had a calling on his life to share the good news, to tell people about Jesus, to see people make it to heaven, to watch people do better in their walk with the Lord. And it burned in his soul like fire. And it kept him going in an amazing way. And John Corson wanted to say Joshua was that type of man as well. And I pray that we would as well be that type of person. You know, one of the things that's interesting, and I don't know for sure because I read it in commentaries, but I didn't really see it clearly in the Bible. A lot of people say that chapter 23 is directed to leaders, while chapter 24, when they gather together in Shechem, was more geared towards the whole congregation. Not really sure, but there is a possibility about that. But as he gathers, it says right there in verse 2, all Israel, their elders, their heads, their judges, their officers, he says right there, I'm old, advanced in age. In verse 3, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations, Because of you, for the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. Here Joshua says, he gathers them together. He says, you have seen what the Lord your God has done, done to all these nations. And you know, looking at that, he wants them to see what God has done, how God was the one that had fought for him and for them. He doesn't say it was him being a great leader. It doesn't say anything like that. No, he says it's the Lord. You know, and we got to make sure that we give God all the glory, all the honor, all the credit for all that he's done. For those of us who have seen firsthand and experienced God's miracles, how accountable we are. Some of you here, you're first generation Christians. And you've seen the miracles of God bringing you out of Egypt, right? Bringing you through the wilderness, taking you into the promised land, raising you up, using your life, saving souls. And we see that in seeing those things, we got to make sure that we never forget. Verse 3, it kind of points to the past. And in verse 4, he points to the present. Notice what he says there. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. Now, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but the Lord gets all the glory, credit, and honor in verse 3, but Joshua has a job to do in verse 4. See, Joshua was a surrendered man and God used him to bless the people. God will use your life to bless the people. Real interesting thing. He says, now we've divided the land from right here at the Jordan all the way to the Great Sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea. We've given to you your responsibility. See, verse 3 is the past. Verse 4 is the present. It's interesting. Verse 3, he says, you have seen. And then in verse 4, he says, see. (laughs) See. A lot of times our problems is because we are blind 
to the things that's going on in our life. You know, and this is a real encouragement to you. I really believe that when you pray, you'll see most clearly. You'll see what God's done in the past. You'll see what God's doing in the present. We've got to make sure that we're not blind to the workings of the Lord. We've got to make sure that we see the past, we see the present. And Joshua says, listen, we've divided the land to you. You know, and from there, right around the Jordan River, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, you've received your allocation, you've received your appropriation. This is your responsibility. This is what I want you to be, God says. And God says, this is what you need to do. The past, the present, verse 5, here's the future. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. The past, the present, and the future. What does your future look like? You know, God says, I'll make a deal with you, man. I'll make a deal with you. You believe and you behave and I will expel all of your enemies. You believe, you behave, I will make you a follower after my own heart. And you will get the land that was allotted to you. You will possess the promises that God has for your life. But I wonder, in looking at the church, how many really believe and how many really receive? How many times we make excuses for nominal Christianity, for worldly Christianity, for lukewarm Christianity? And God says, listen, man, I want you to be sold out and surrendered. God gives him here a promise. Again, I will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. Now, of course, in light of all that we've learned up to this point in the book of Joshua, it's a conditional promise. If the people of God did the possible, then God would do the impossible. If the people of God fought with spiritual weapons, then God would fight for them. If the people of God obeyed the word of God, then they would experience the promise of God. And the Lord presents the future to them, and He says, what do you think, man? Would you like that type of future? then you've got to surrender. You've got to completely surrender your life to me. You've got to make sure, this is how we all started this whole thing, that Jesus Christ really is the Lord of your life. You see, it's a future of fulfillment, a future of fruitfulness, a future of faithfulness, a future for you and your kids after you, in which God opens the windows of heaven and rains down blessings on you. That's what God wants to do in our life. He's just waiting for us to believe and receive, to pray with all our heart, to read the Bible with faith, you know, to repent of our sins, to come clean, to spend time, you know, in the Lord, man, the things of God, you know, to invest in those things that are spiritual. So that he can do what? He can bless our life. I'm reminded of God's promise in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10, that says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me. Now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such blessings, that there will not be room enough for you 
to receive it. You see, even though it's a heavy warning, we're going to see today, it's a heavy warning. God says, I want to bless your life. I want to reward you and open the windows of heaven and rain down blessings on you that you can't even keep. You see, the book of Malachi, the book of Joshua, the book we call the Bible, in many ways is simply a book of how God wants to bless your life even more than you're experiencing now. And so Joshua says right here, you've seen the past, what God has done, you see the present, what he's given you to do and to be, and you know it. And God says in verse 5, if you do things my way, one thing that you won't see is your enemy having victory over you. Look again at verse 5. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. See, God says, see the past. See the future. If you live a life of obedience and consecration, sanctification, praying like you should, reading like you should, obeying like you should, walking with the Lord in fellowship with God, connected in Him, communion with Him, if you live that life, then I will drive out your enemies from your sight. We're going to see later though, but if you don't, you're going to live with them. You're going to kick it with the enemy. And that's why it's such an important study, you guys, tonight. You know, I think for many Christians, they see way too much of the enemy. You know, in settling down, they've settled for so much less than what God really has to offer. And Joshua knows there's a great danger of what? Apostasy. And so at the age of 110, he gets his walker out. Maybe, I don't know how he does it, man. You know, and somehow they, they prop him up there on the pulpit and he preaches the word of God to the people of God. And he just lays it all out for them. He musters up the strength to speak to the leaders, which is where this starts. It always starts with the leaders and then it flows down into the fellowship and the hearts of the people. And so he exhorts them. And we're going to see, first of all, in verses 5 through 11, it's kind of positive. Because look what it says in verse 5. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight, so you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, here it is, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Unless you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. That's beautiful. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. In verse 6, we have the word, therefore, be very courageous. And then verse 11, we have the word, therefore, Take careful heed. 
We see, first of all, the exhortation and address or communication emphatically urging someone to do something. And what is it? Number one, we need courageous obedience to God's word. That's what we see, first of all, in verses 5 through 10. Courageous obedience to God's word. Hence the movie, Courageous. (laughs) Right? Oh, Manny, but it's speaking about police officers and that's what it's talking about, you know, because police officers need courage. Yeah, they sure do, huh? But dads need courage. Fathers need courage to go against the flow and make a stand. And sometimes, man, they might even have to disagree with their kids. Happens every once in a while, huh? You might have to disagree with Oprah Winfrey or others that are giving you certain counsel. But it takes that courage, you guys, to keep going. To take courage, it says right here, to do all that is written in God's word. Not veering to the right or the left, but staying right on this track of truth. Now, in thinking about the context right here, what would this mean to Israel? If you think about it, now he's talking to Israel there. They're still in the land and there's still pockets of resistance. There's still enemies within their promised land. We know who's left, right? The giants are left. Those with chariots and iron chariots are left. That's why Joshua says to them right here at this point, you're going to need courage to finish the job. You know, because we get saved, praise God. And maybe you go, uh, you know, a little further and praise God, you know, we're really excited. We're kind of, you know, living below par or above par, you know, it's kind of cool. But God says, but in order to go the distance, in order to be complete, you're going to need this thing called courage. You know, it would mean that they would have to take God at His word and do war with the enemy nations that were still among them. It meant that they would have to face fierce opposition, ginormous giants. It meant that they'd have to challenge chariots of iron. This is why Joshua brings up the point of courage at this juncture. You know, for many of God's people, only they go this far and no further, not really wanting to dig deep and to face those giants and to really sanctify their lives completely to God. You know, I would even venture to say, and I don't think, you know, you guys are like this, man, but there's some Christians that even hear a message like this and they think, you know what, it's not right. Manny, you're fanatical. Manny, you're even a little bit heretical, right? You know, because they just figure it's the blood, it's grace, it's done. I don't even have to try, you know. I'm just going to go through and I'm going to enjoy my salvation. But when you read the Bible, and like I said, we're just studying through the Bible, we see that it's not like that. We see 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, These things were written for our own admonition. They're written for us. This applies to us. And God says, listen, I want you to live that life of obedience. God wants you to go all the way every day by the power of the Holy Spirit to drive out the sin from within, the sin that has settled down in your life. Because a lot of times what ends up happening is we've given that sin nice accommodations. We've made necessary adjustments to live in sin. And God says, you know what? That's not, that's not the way I can bless your life. 
Maybe you're here today and maybe it's prayerlessness. Maybe it's lovelessness. Maybe you're lazy. Maybe you're crazy. I don't know. It might be pride. Or maybe you hide from that relationship in which you've made some learned you know, adjustments to live in sin. It could be alcohol. It could be anger. It could be pornography. It could be a lack of modesty. All I'm saying is just don't let the sin linger any longer. And don't be afraid, you guys, to drive these things out of your life and out of your land. You know, I know you've been living with it for a long time. And maybe you're thinking, man, I don't know if I can get rid of this one. But you can. And you've got to believe that. You can have that victory in every area. Take courage for whatever the calling is. You know, oftentimes, like a Martin Luther, maybe a William Tyndale, you might have to risk your own life in order to do what God's called you to do. You know, to go against the flow, maybe even of your so-called friends. But you have to have the courage to obey God's word. You know, I think of Mark chapter 15, verse 43, of this guy named Joseph of Arimathea. He was a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. And the Bible says, coming and taking courage, he went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. You see, here was a man that put his life on the line. You know, a lot of times we're not willing to do that. And God says, listen, you're living in sin. You're making accommodations for a life that I have not called you to live. All I'm saying is that to really fully go the distance, we've got to make sure that we're not afraid of anything except God. See? And whatever it is, whatever it is, God can give us the grace to overcome. You know, if we don't take courage to fight and we don't take courage to do what's right, then Joshua says we will have some real unhealthy roommates. That's basically what he says right there. Again, notice in verse 6, it says, Therefore be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right or to the left hand, and lest you go among these nations... These who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their God, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. You know, and, and it's almost inevitable, you guys, when you let the world in and the ways of the world in, the devastation of the nation will then lead us into what? Idolatry. Idolatry. And then, you know, God's people are guilty of idolatry. Because when you get down to it, really the heart of the matter is the first two of the Ten Commandments. What are our struggles? We put other things before God. Me, my spouse, my kids, maybe it's my finances. It could be a lot of different things, but we put things before the Lord. I mean, there we are watching TV all night long. All night long. You know, and there's people that do that. And I'm like, man, why don't you read your Bible? And you're like, man, you're being legalistic. You know what? If you want to call me legalistic, that's cool. I'm not afraid of you, man. <laughs> I'm telling you this right now, man. That television, if you're not watching things that are sanctified, then that's sin. And if you're wasting your time, then that's sin. I'm telling you that we're living in the last of the last days. 
You need to go to your closet. You need to fall on your face and you need to pray. You need to reach out. You know, make that phone call. Make that visitation. Send that card. Do things that are spiritual. See, these are the days that we're living in. And that's where we need to be, you guys. We need to take courage to put God first. Because it becomes so subtle. That idolatry that oftentimes Christians are guilty of, which then turns into spiritual adultery. Which is exactly what we see here in the book of Joshua. And then we wonder why there's no power. You see, Joshua is warning the nation against apostasy. That's really what he's doing. And so he says there in verse 8, but you, he wants them to be different. You shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you, as he promised. See, here's Joshua, 110 years old, speaking to the people, saying, you got to hold on to the Lord. Don't let go. Hold fast to Him. Because He is the only one that will give you victory in life. And you know, you know, when you're walking in the Spirit, and you know, you're walking in the flesh. And we see the exhortation here in verse 8. We see the explanation there in verse 9. And we see once again the promise, the potential in verse 10. Now, imagine you're here today, and I don't know if there's anyone here today that's struggling with something, you know. And maybe, you know, your, your, your marriage is messed up. You know, maybe your marriage is messed up. Maybe your relationship with your children is messed up. You know, maybe you find yourself and you're always blowing it. You're always frustrated. You're always agitated. You're always angry. Maybe you find yourself, you know, with a wandering eye and you're checking out chicks, whatever it is. I don't know. Maybe you just can't have victory in your prayer life. Maybe you're not really reading through the Bible. You know, I don't know what it is, but there you are. And God says, listen, it's like one man chasing a thousand. I will give you the power. I will give you the victory over all those things. All you got to do is come over here to where you belong. You see, and it's kind of like a, of course, a kinda, it's kind of like a circle that feeds itself. You're going to find yourself that as you just get that prayer life right, your quiet time light, you know, your heart right, then, then that makes you stronger and then that makes, you know, your prayer life stronger and your time in the Word stronger and then it just goes on and on. Before you know it, you are so hungry. You are so hungry and thirsting so hard for righteousness. And you want the whole world to get saved, man. And there's a passion in your life. You see, because that's where we need to be. And before you know it, there you are. And you're still 110 years old and no one can stop you, man. You're 81 years old and you're wondering, man, why can't I read five hours at a time? You're 88 years old and you know, you, when, you, when you sleep until 5.30, it's late. Why? Because by the Holy Spirit, you wake up in the morning and you spend time with the Lord. You know, I'll be honest with you. For me, it's a lot of things. You know, I could struggle with food. 
And I'll be honest with you, that is something, if I could just mention this real quick, sometimes people struggle with food and they can't overcome it. They get defeated by, you know, their quesadilla or whatever, you know. I'll be honest with you, I'll go home and if I don't discipline myself, and if I eat too much, then I run out of gas, I have no energy and I can't spend time with my family. So I put two and two together and I realized this, that if I want to read the Bible with my family and have energy, you know, to be with them, then I've got to overcome food. You know, and food is what? It feeds what? It feeds the flesh, right? It feeds the flesh. And some people, they struggle with, you know, cheeseburgers, struggle with burritos. And God's challenging you and he's saying, hey, can you overcome the flesh? Can you say no to that? Can you fast? Because when you deny the flesh and you put the spirit first, there will be power in your life. I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about, you guys. And I don't want to be Holy Spirit, but I do pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you, speak to us and tell us specifics in areas that we need to give to God. You see, we need the courage. And it's something Joshua spoke about from the very beginning. If you go back to Joshua chapter 1, notice what it says here in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. And so here's Joshua Who knows, man, 30 years earlier, 30 years earlier, and he's preaching the same message 30 years later. And you guys get mad at me, right? Because I say the same message, and it's been three years now or whatever, you know? But here it is. It's the same message. The same message that if you want God to bless your life, and I'm not talking about, you know, things of the world. I'm not talking about things that are fleeting, things that are superficial. I'm talking about things that are real, things that are deep, things that are lasting, things that will blow your mind, things that we haven't even seen or heard or felt. Man, I'm talking about all of God. He's saying it's the same thing, man. Be strong. Good courage that you may do what? That you may be obedient to the word of God. He says in verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I just know that there's more for us individually, congregationally. And God says, listen, I will radically change your life. And so back in Joshua chapter 23, the first thing we see is God wants us to be courageously obedient to his word The second thing is kind of connected there in verse 11. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Courageous obedience and careful love for God. You know, I I know we probably know John chapter 14, verse 15 and John chapter 14, verse 21. It says, Jesus says, if you love me, 
keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. You know, and that's true. You know, we will know whether or not we love the Lord by whether or not we obey him. But here's something, you guys. Whatever you do, don't think that our love starts there. Our love does not start there. No, our love is not birthed there, not even in the slightest bit. See, our love for the Lord starts with His love for us, right? First John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love Him, why? Because He first loved us. First John chapter 4, verse 10, And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, verse 11 needs to happen before the other verses do. We need to love God before we can be courageously obedient to Him. And that's why Joshua says that we need to be careful to really love the Lord. You see, and so if you're here today and you're having a hard time obeying God, it's because you're not loving God. And in order to rectify that, I want to encourage you today, you know, you know, because I don't know where you guys are at. I, I wonder, you know, and, and we have to search our own hearts. You know, do you really, do we really love God? You know, if for some reason you're struggling in that, then I want to encourage you to take time to get to know Him, to walk with Him in life, to talk with Him in life, to bask in Him and ask Him to do what? To reveal Himself to you. You know, just like it, you know, it, it works in, in our life, you guys. Have you ever met somebody that you thought, oh, they're so pretty? Okay, let's just say, as, you know, your spouse. The first time you met him, you look at him from a distance. I remember the first time I saw Shelly and I said, wow, you know, she's beautiful. I'm, I'm in love, right? The first time I saw her and I told my friend, I said, I'm going to marry her. I never even met her yet, right? What's that? Is that love? No, right? It's infatuation, right? True love, what? It takes time. And then I get to know her and I think, wow, man, she's pretty amazing, right? You know? And you get to, you know, know them. And then what ends up happening is, is you really, I don't know if fall in love is the right way of saying it, but your love grows. Your love is real. Your love matures. Your love finally becomes true love. And that's the way it is with the Lord. You know, at first we got saved, we were real excited, we call it honeymoon period. But then when you really get to know Him and you see His cross and you see, you know, His grace and you see His blood and you see the way that He catches every single tear and He counts every single hair and He watches over you and He cares for you and He just wants to bless you, you begin to do what? You begin to love the Lord. And that's what Joshua is saying. He's saying, listen, as I'm about to die, a couple of things that you guys got to do. Number one, courageously obedient. Be courageously obedient. Number two, be carefully in love. Carefully in love with the Lord. He says, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. And so he gives the exhortation, but... Then he gives a heavy warning. Look what it says in verse 12. He says, Or else, ooh, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of those nations 
These that remain among you and make marriages with them and go into them and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from the good land which the Lord your God has given you. You see, we see first of all an exhortation in verses 6 through 11, but now we see a real heavy warning. And Joshua says this, he says, you know what, if you go back, if you don't cling to the Lord, if you're not courageously obedient, if you're not carefully in love, if you go back to your old life, to your old ways, to the ways of the world, then I want to tell you three things that are going to happen to you. Number one, you will be defeated. That's what he says first of all there in verse 12 through 13a. Or else if indeed you do so, go back and claim to the realm of those nations, make marriages with them, and all these things, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. You know, and how important it is that we have a heart of sanctification, how vital it is that we understand the importance of separation. Here we see in verses 12 and 13, the Lord kind of saying that one of the ways of going back is beginning to have friendships with the world. And yet you guys are a church. You guys know the Greek word, right? You guys know the Greek word for church? Ecclesia. What does that mean? Called out once. You were called out from the world. And God says, you should stand out like a sore thumb. You should be light in the darkness. You should be salt on the earth. But a lot of times we become trendy, blendy Christians, right? And God says to us in John chapter 17, verse 16, He says, you are not of this world. You are to be totally different. You're like, but I got the t-shirt. Isn't that good enough? No, I got the bumper sticker. No, you're not of this world, God says. You know, and we have to be so careful because God's people can drift so far away that they might even marry non-believers. If you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, notice what it says here. The same message, bringing it into practical application. When there's a true sanctification that takes place, you know, everything is going to be sanctified unto God. You're going to be different, especially in your relationships with God. Because look what it says here in chapter 6 and verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Now we see first of all the command there in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, right? And Paul says, this is why, why you are not to be unequally yoked to them. He says, because there's no fellowship. There's no communion. There's no accord. There's no part. There's no agreement. You know, imagine that, man, not being able to talk about the Lord and the things of the Lord, unable to communicate at the deepest level 
no harmony, stuck with someone, you will be unable to agree on the most important issues of life when you hook up with a non-believer. And sometimes people do it in business relationships. Sometimes they do it and they get married to the wrong person. Sometimes what ends up happening is individuals have best friends that are not Christians. And God says, I called you out of all that. Paul uses some vivid contrast right here. Righteousness and lawlessness, light and darkness, Christ and Belial, which is another name for Satan. It means wicked one. The believer, the unbeliever, God and idols. He says they do not belong together. They cannot coexist. And a lot of times what ends up happening is Christians try to make themselves like the world. Because they say, well, I want to reach the world. And the world is just waiting for you to shine with God's love and be different. Paul here says, do not be unequally yoked, not only for what it does to you, but primarily because of who lives in you. Look again there at verse 16. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. You see, and that's why we need to be so careful, you guys, to maintain righteous relationships, courtships and friendships. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. In Psalm 106, I like this verse, in verse 35, it talks about the mistake that the children of Israel made and it says they mingled with the Gentiles and they learned their works. And so we see, you guys, God is calling us to be different. God is calling us to be like His Son. We need to make sure that we come out of the world. If not, number one, we will be defeated Number two, we will be tortured. And this is crazy, man. But go back to Joshua 23 and look what it says again in verse 13. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. That's being defeated. But here it is. They shall be snares and traps to you, scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes. It's a heavy warning, you guys. It really is. God will reward you for your righteousness, your complete and total sanctification, your surrender to God being the Lord of your life. But if we choose our own way and we go back into the world and we you know, want to call our own shots and God says, this is what's going to happen to you. There will be no power in your life. You're going to be defeated. And then number two In one sense, he says right there, you're going to be tortured. Now, I was reading one commentary and it called it being discomforted. And I thought, no, this is worse than being discomforted, man. I mean, this is a thorn in your eyes. Okay, have you ever had like an eyelash in your eye? (laughs) Did that bother you? Okay, imagine what it would be like to have a thorn in your eye. You know, we know over in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there's the thorn again. This is the enemy. This is the enemy living in your life, blinding your eyes. 
When you don't do things God's way, number one, you're going to be defeated. Number two, you're going to be tortured. I mean, how about a life of scourging, man? Scourging, get over here, get down here. Wham, weapons to whip you. We know what a scourge was, right? Leather strands weighed down with pieces of bone or metal, wearing away and tearing away at their bodies a life of disobedience, God says. He says right there, man, they can't even walk their way in peace. Why? Because they're going to be surrounded by snares and tons of traps that robbed them of enjoying even a little stroll in the sunset. And what ends up happening? Christians are tortured. No peace, no joy, no love, no life, no power to make an impact in the world that they live in. And they're their kids, and there's their friends and relatives, and people are around them. They're supposed to be this sphere of influence. And God says, Sorry. You guys did not choose my way. So you see, number one, defeat. Number two, torture. And then number three, it gets worse, and that is death. Again, look at verse 13. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you, what? Perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. It ends in death. You know, to perish is not pretty. The peace is gone. Good promises are gone. You're vomited out of the land. It's the escalation of devastation. In the life of one of God's children that will not listen to their father. And this is what eventually happened to the Jews, right? In 722 BC, the northern kingdom was taken away by Assyria. In 586 BC, finally completed, the southern kingdom taken away to where? To Babylon. You know, and it's real simple. You know, I guess what I'm trying to say today, and I think what Joshua is trying to say right before he dies, is the same thing that Moses said right before he he died in Deuteronomy 11, verse 26. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a cursing. You choose which one you want. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. See, your kids, and we're thinking about our kids, and we're thinking about our grandkids, but they are watching us. They really are. They see when dad is kicking it there, watching, you know, maybe the Dodger game for a little bit too long, you know, or maybe watching something on television that he shouldn't be watching. They see that and they take note. They also see when dad goes into the garage and he prays and he gets on his face. They see when dad takes charge and says, okay, let's read the Bible tonight. Come on, you come over here, you come over here. I know we've all got different things, but let's get together. And it affects our descendants. And God is saying, listen, this is what I want for you. I'm setting it before you. It really is possible. We need to raise the standard where it belongs. A lot of times what ends up happening, you guys, if I could just share this, and I know I've shared it with you before, is you remember when you were in school, they graded on a curve? You guys remember that? 
right? And what ended up happening was, um, you know, let's just say you didn't have a whole lot of smart people in the class. You're like, cool, you know, I'm going to do good this time, whatever. And the best grade is a 70%, right? And so, cool, you get a 69 and you're like doing good, right? You're like, hey, I'm right there. I got an A. But you only did C work. And that's kind of the way it is sometimes in the church. You know, an A today is a C in the Bible. Why? Because we're grading ourselves on the curve. We're measuring ourselves against two, the average Christian. And God says, no, I want you to measure yourself against Paul the Apostle. I want you to measure yourself against John Wesley. I want you to measure yourself against Jesus Christ. And then what ends up happening? We're like, wow, I better wake up. Like I said, it's not an arrival, but it is a revival. It's not, you know, that I'm there, man, but it's an awakening. God is saying, listen, there's more. I'm calling you to be a missionary. I'm calling you to be a pastor. I'm calling you to give more of your time, more of your talent, more of your treasure. I'm calling you deeper. I want more prayers from you. I want, you know, and the Lord begins to minister things to us. And he says, I want your life. I want your life. The Bible says, give me your heart, God says. And I think that that's where we need to be. You know, someone might listen to the study tonight and they say, Manny, you know, you're giving me Moses' message. And, you know, you're telling me about Joshua there in the Old Testament. Jesus would never say that. Wrong. (laughs) Go over to Matthew chapter 7. And I know you guys are probably familiar with this verse, but look what the Lord says in Matthew chapter 7. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, um, I encourage you, go back, read the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it's pretty heavy what God calls us to do, man. Boom, I'm telling you, man, if you look at a woman to lust after, you've committed adultery in your heart. You've got to get your heart right. You've got to get your eyes right. You've got to get your life squared away. I mean, you name it. The Lord gives us a high and holy calling in the Sermon on the Mount, right? But then he closes it right here in chapter 7 in verse 21. He says, listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who what? Who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name. Think about that for a second. Man, here's these people doing miracles. But Jesus says right here, that I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Heavy, heavy warning, right? And so he says in verse 24, Therefore, Whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. It's the same thing. Jesus says the same thing that Joshua says. He says it's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of living the life. 
If you don't live the life and here you are here today and you're like, man, my house is still standing and I haven't been living all like surrendered like you're talking about, you know. Oh, I'm telling you, the storm hasn't come yet. It's going to come and it's going to wipe you out unless you get right with the Lord. You know and I know where we belong. And God, as His Holy Spirit speaks to us, expects us to be in that place. See, Joshua was a picture of Jesus. And so before Joshua died, he laid it all out before the people to encourage them to live a life of good, old-fashioned obedience. And so we close here in verse 14. Joshua says, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Isn't that beautiful, you guys? And there you're like, oh, it's so nice, right? It's so pretty, right? <laughs> Look what he says. Therefore, in verse 15, it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, bound down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. You see, in closing tonight, what we find is that God is not a liar. He's not. He keeps his word. You know, let's say, for example, you tell your kid you're going to play ball with him. Do you follow through with your promise? You go home and play baseball with him? Yeah, we did. We had a great time. Or let's just say you tell your kid he's going to get in trouble if he disrespects his mother. Do you follow through on your threat and give him a trancaso, right? You say, yes, I did, and it was a heavy lesson. Well, if we don't follow through on our word, then shame on us. We're not true to our word, but God will always follow through on his word. His promise to reward and his threat to punish. May God help us to awaken this evening to not to live a California Christianity. God is calling us to pray. God is calling us to his word. God is calling us to absolute lordship and surrender of our life. And if you don't like that, then one day you're going to be in big trouble. We really need to make sure that we are people of obedience. See, Joshua warned the people of God. He did not want them to apostatize. He did not want them to fall into apostasy. No, he wanted them and us to be a theocracy. Very simple. Governed by God. He calls the shots. Jesus is my Savior and Jesus is my Lord. It was part of the agreement from the very beginning that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. You see, that's what we signed up for. And so, we need to follow through on our covenant, 
and our commitment make sure that we don't think that our life belongs to us. No, our life belongs to the Lord. And we need to give Him everything, complete and total, 100% obedience. Today we learn courageous obedience to God's Word, careful love for God. If not, then we will live lives of defeat, torture, and death. And you're like, Manny, you keep giving me these heavy warnings, man. It's not me, man. It's the Lord. He wants to spare you all the problems. Not too long ago, we went to a wedding. I remember we went to a wedding, right? And it was kind of cool. There were signs there, no parking, no parking, no parking. We tell people, don't park there, don't park there, don't park there. What did they do? They parked there. Guess what happened? They got a big fat ticket, man. (laughs) And God is saying, that's all. That's all. I love you. I want to bless your socks off like you have never experienced And this point in your life as a Christian. But what it is, is I'm calling you to what? Total obedience. If not, if not, I promise you, I promise you, you will pay the price. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much for your word, your love, your grace in our life, Father. And I know, Lord, that we can't be perfect, but there, your word does say to try to be. I want to be proper, Lord. I want to be a godly man. I don't want to make excuses for anything that would ever grieve you. Lord, your word says these things are written to you that you may not sin. That's our goal. That's our heart. Let that be, Lord, our desire. But I also know, Lord, your word says, but if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so, Lord, thank you for that grace. Tonight, forgive us. Lord, tonight, give us a new start. We use that grace, but let us never, ever abuse that grace. I pray, Lord, tonight that there would be a great awakening. I pray that tonight, by your Holy Spirit, that there would be a great revival. Lord, that we would not resent your words of correction, but that tonight, whatever areas of our life that we're holding on to, whatever enemies that are living there, and we've accommodated them, that today, Lord God, we would not allow it to linger any longer. We love you. We want to be holy, for you are holy. We thank you so much, Lord, for your calling upon our life. Be with these beautiful people here today, Lord. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, change our life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.